Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I want crime to stop. A new form of high-tech government surveillance. This is a game changer. Is rapidly spreading across the country. This is the single best tool I have ever seen in 33 years. But when it comes to tracking criminals. You'd be recording all of us everywhere, all the time. How far is too far? Do you envision a future with a flock camera on every street corner? I envision that, and I envision an America where crime no longer exists. This week on Open Record, how artificial intelligence is transforming the way police keep an eye on you. I don't want to live in a police state, and I am the police. Studios. This is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined this week by Open Record's executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hi. And we are joined once again by Fox 6 investigative reporter, Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Brian. It is great to have you here on the podcast. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, August 2nd, for release on Thursday, August 3rd. And for the last few months, the Fox 6 investigators have been digging deep into the details of a recent phenomenon in law enforcement that could have a profound impact on both public safety and your personal privacy. You may or may not have heard of this new technology sold under the brand name of Flock Safety. But for the next two nights, we're gonna be talking about what we found on Fox 6 News, the broadcast, as well as on our digital platforms. If you haven't heard of Flock cameras, you can almost guarantee one or more of them have taken photographs of you or at least of your car. And today we're gonna be talking about what it is, how it works, and why privacy advocates are sounding the alarm. And this is something that even if you don't know that you've heard of it, you've probably seen it on the news. That's how it got on our radar, because we were getting all these press releases about arrests police had made as a result of using this flock camera system. So before we get into that, we should probably start with the basics. What are flock safety cameras? How do they work? So whenever you drive around, you notice more and more at every intersection on light poles, on stoplights and other places, there are more and more types of cameras and technology. Some of them are DOT cameras or there's all sorts of different purposes. But what you may be seeing more and more, and many of these are on their own independent standalone poles, but are these solar powered panels with a camera in front um, has a circle about maybe the size of uh, I, I don't know how to maybe the size of a tennis ball. Um, with what might look like little dots inside. And what these are is automated license plate reading cameras. Um, And they are essentially recording every vehicle that passes by these cameras in locations that are strategically placed throughout a lot of municipalities in our area. More and more of them, and we'll talk about that coming up. But these cameras are recording every vehicle that goes by. They're recording the license plate. They're recording all sorts of other information about those cars and then sending them to a centralized database where police can search for certain vehicles, um, they in in many cases are relying on sort of alerts that come back from the cameras. They are front end alerts that say this vehicle that was on a stolen car hot list matches, or it just passed by this camera at this location, and then police immediately know a stolen cars in the community and where it was at what time. Um, so they're relying on the front end for a lot of alerts about cars wanted in crime, wanted because they were stolen, whatever it might be. Um, But then on the back end, they're using the data that's being collected to also investigate other crimes so they can search that nationwide database for a certain vehicle or a certain license plate. It's very helpful in the case of things like missing persons, Amber Alerts. They can search for the license plate of a vehicle. You know, the Amber Alert goes out. Essentially, what they're really asking for all of us to do is be sort of these human flock cameras. They want if you happen to see this car, we're hoping you get this message on your phone. You see it. and You can tell us where they are. Well, the cameras never stop. They're always going all the time and they see every vehicle. When you're driving, you pass how many cars? I couldn't tell you what color, make, model or license plate of the cars I passed this morning on the way into work. But the cameras know. And that's what this technology is all about. So part of that, you know, that you were just talking about, 
license plate readers have been around for a long time. Yeah, it's not a new technology. No, and so, but flat cameras are a little bit different and there's different features and things that they use them for. So what sets them apart or what's make, what makes them different than the traditional license plate reader that we have? And I'll talk about this a bit. Some of it's marketing, but and maybe a lot of it's marketing, but there are differences and they're significant. And one of them is that when ALPR, like Automated License Plate Reading Technology, first came out, Police were installing them mostly on the squad cars themselves so that while they're out doing their jobs, instead of a police officer having to use his eyes to notice a car that maybe there was a an all points bulletin for you look out for a red Chevy Tahoe with plates, this or that. Well, you've still got to be actively looking. Instead, they add the license plate readers to the squad cars that could automatically scan traffic as they drove around. The problem with that is, number one. That location changes all the time. The officers just driving sort of maybe randomly as they patrol or they're sent out on assignments. So there aren't specific points that are covered. Secondly, when that car's in the garage, it's not doing any good. And then third, those cameras were, I don't know if this is fair to call them this, but I think Flock would probably refer to them as dumb cameras. They only record the license plate and they didn't notice other features about the vehicle. What Flock cameras do that really sort of sets them apart and what Flock CEO uh, Garrett Langley, who we interviewed for this story said, is they have software that uses machine learning, artificial intelligence to also detect up to two dozen other features about the vehicle. It can tell day or night, not just what the license plate number is in in the letters and all that, what state it's from, the make, model, and color of the vehicle, Does it have a roof rack? Does it have bumper stickers? It can't tell what the bumper stickers are necessarily, but was that a vehicle with bumper stickers? And a witness might notice it was a, you know, whatever, a a, a white Prius with a bumper sticker on the back. Well, they can search that now. All of that information is, you know, if there's damage, by the way, that's another key one. If there's damage to a fender or a bumper or something like that, broken window, all of that data is collected and stored in this database so the police can later search for it. So it's the software, um, combined with the fact that these cameras are in static places. They stay in the same place and they're running all the time. So if you have 20 of them placed around a city and there's a car you're looking for and it hits on one of them, you know which direction they went and you know where to, to, to go to try to find that vehicle. You might even see them hit on several where you start to get an idea of their route or their path. And and so that's sort of the idea behind these as opposed to the original iterations of ALPR. So there are people listening to this or watching this right now who are probably thinking, sounds great. Sure. I like when crimes are solved in my community. And you mentioned marketing. And I think this brings us into how you started looking into this. Because, Brian, you and I have been talking about flock cameras for a little more than a year now. Yeah, it goes way back. Last summer. Yeah. And in part, it's because of their aggressive marketing strategy. They send out these press releases about these crimes that have been solved, and and they serve it up to journalists on a silver platter. And so we're getting inundated with these press releases about local crimes that are being solved. And you and I started talking about it, and we knew there had to be another side to this. There had to be more to this. So what did you find as you started digging into that? Well, let me start by saying that though the, the Garrett Langley, who is the CEO of this company, one of the first questions I had is, who is this guy? I mean, this company has come out of nowhere and is now dominating the license plate reading, automated license plate reading market in law enforcement. And uh, certainly here in Wisconsin, it's dominant. In it, a short period of this time. This company didn't exist six years ago, and now it is worth one and a half billion dollars. So who is this guy? And he's, if you see his face in our stories, he's young. Um, he is a Georgia Tech graduate who uh, you know, knew a little something about technology. He also knows a lot about business. And marketing is something he's very good at. And so he saw an opportunity here once their product, and we'll talk more about how that developed, but once that product got out into the marketplace, they knew the fastest way to get other police departments and other people, other private businesses on board was show them how this works. And how do you show them? earned media, free media, get on TV. And so we were getting these press releases over and over again. A flock safety camera solved a crime in Port Washington. It solved a crime in Grafton. And we were doing these stories. But oftentimes those stories were informed by flock themselves or by a law enforcement agency who was so pleased with their purchase that they were parroting the talking points 
of flock safety. But there's a whole other side to this. And you knew about this, Amanda. The the ACLU has written extensively warning that, hey, folks, this is mass surveillance. And while there's a great good being done when you're solving crimes, there's also a limit to what you want to see the government do with massive surveillance systems that can monitor not just criminals, but everyone. Um, All of us are passing by these cameras. So what I did is uh, the first thing I really wanted to know is, um, you know, we weren't talking on the air much about the privacy concern, the other side of this, as you mentioned. We also wanted to know what were the conversations going on when they were trying to sell this product to police departments? What was Flock saying to them? What kind of promises were they making? What were those conversations like? So we sent out open records requests to uh, more than two dozen police departments and actually information requests to 37 police departments, the 37 largest departments in southeastern Wisconsin, a seven-county area. And, And I picked 37 because they were all the departments whose communities had a population of 10,000 or more. I just needed a cutoff point mm-hmm. because there are so many. Yeah. And and as you know, 37 open records requests <gasps> is an incredibly unwieldy process. Even when not everyone responds, which I know is what happened to you, you're still drowning in paperwork. And, and I have been for the past several months. As you guys know, I've been uh, working on some of the, this story for so long. I'm sure some people hear me in morning meetings and they say, what are you doing today? Looking at flock emails again, um, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of emails did come in from the agencies that responded. I'm still waiting on a half dozen. Um, one of them just got back to me yesterday after seeing the promo on our air like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that story. You still want those records? Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but of the ones that did come in, again, thousands and thousands of pages. And w- the first thing I really noticed is there is a lot of activity and communication going on between Flock and these police departments long before they decide to buy the system. Flock has a very aggressive sales approach, which is cold call outreach, um, or they've got a customer on the hook. Tell me about other art, you know, agencies that might be interested. Who else might want this? That could benefit you because they're your neighboring communities. Um, introduce us to this person or that person. Hey, Chief Capanera sent me your way. So a lot of front end sales effort. And then they have a strategy, and I don't talk about any of this in the stories because there's only so much time on the air, but I thought it was fascinating, not that there's a, this isn't a scandal, but it's just a really fascinating way they do this. Once they make contact, they offer a pilot program for each of these communities. Hey, you don't have to commit any money. You can have our cameras for free. You can have up to 30 if you want. Locate them all around the city, and then after six months or so, see which ones you want to keep, and then you can just pay for those. And it's kind of like the it's it's kind of like the, the the car salesman who says, get in the car and go for a drive. See how she feels. Do you like it? Do you like how it steers? All right. Now let's go sit down and talk numbers. So but but this is a little different because you can't just easily test drive a camera like this. You have to get it installed. And a lot of these emails really involved. Uh, it, it was really uh you know, coordination between agencies, the Department of Transportation, Public Works, permitting, get it, can we get a camera into that median? What do we need to do for the poll there? What are the logistics? How can we get it aimed in the right direction? Will the sun be a problem? So there's a lot of logistical stuff going on. And this is all before the community has spent any money. And here's the key to that. And it's all before the community often That's knows it. this is happening. That's it. All of this conversation, in some cases, years of conversation, two years of emails are going on where they're getting very specific about potential maps, about locations, about what works and doesn't work, about what the cost would be if you went with this many cameras for this versus this many. And none of that has gone out in a press release. None of that has gone before a community city council, common council, whatever, uh, you know, a board of any kind. And it's only at the point at which the police department says, okay, we want this many cameras that they can go to the community and say, we've been doing this now for six months. And here is what we've already shown in terms of its effectiveness and we want this much money for next year to buy this many cameras so by the time people find out about it they've already been watched for as much as six months in some cases in some cases now i will say other communities have gone to their boards or their common councils early on and said we need to sign a you know a memorandum of understanding that says we can access the system or we need to sign a contract that includes this pilot project so they're going and getting that approved before the cameras are installed but at that point they are still 
well into the process of planning locations and permitting and all those sorts of things. Um, they're, they're deep into it by the time they go to the common councils. And what I'm finding is this isn't showing up in a public agenda that says, hey, we're going to talk about a camera that could be watching your every movement public do you they're not holding public hearings mass surveillance mm -hmm. isn't an agenda item but it's not even a public hearing to say hey there's a new technology we want you to know about it before we put it in there are communities that have done that but the, wisconsin doesn't have to right wisconsin right. doesn't there are other states state of california requires mm -hmm. a public hearing before this kind of technology can be purchased and installed what's happening what i'm seeing in a lot of these cases is there's uh maybe the monthly police update at the the public safety meeting and the police uh, department gets up and talks about well we've had this many hirings and this many uh retirements and you know there's this going on and by the way we also want these flock cameras bt dubs and 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 so then you'll have maybe a council member or two say well how does this work this isn't uh this isn't you know uh, uh facial recognition right no 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 it's not facial recognition okay well how does it work okay and do we have any concerns about Privacy? No, no, no. Privacy is not, not a concern. We're only looking at this, and this is what we hear over and over. We're only looking at this when there are crimes. We're looking to solve crime. We're not concerned about people's private lives. And of course, no police chief is going to come out and tell you we're looking to probe into your private life. And I don't even think the ACLU thinks that's the intent. The intent is clearly let's solve crime. But as the uh, Jay Stanley, who's a privacy and technology policy analyst for ACLU, told me, he said the intent could be good to put a camera in every person's bedroom and say we're only going to look if there's a serious crime that needs to be investigated. The intent might be good, but who would say, sure, put a camera in my bedroom and only look if there's a crime? There's a concern that that camera is always watching. Now, this isn't watching you in your private space like that. It's in a public place like out in the streets. Where anyone could have a camera. Where anyone could have a camera. Nonetheless, the fact that it is tracking you all the time and the fact that it, these are all across the country, tens of thousands of them, and most importantly, the fact that they all feed into one centralized database, that's where the power comes in for massive searches of very personal information. I know Flock was very uh, uh, quick to say, uh, Garrett Langley said, we track, we don't track, uh, we don't track people, we track cars. But Flock wouldn't work as a crime fighting tool if tracking cars didn't help you find people. So clearly where your car goes says a lot about where you go. And that's where the concern comes in, in terms of the potential, uh, you know, sort of big brother aspect of this. The government is watching a little bit too much of what you do. Well, and because it this is a system that people are running, there is potential for abuse. And you found a case where someone went rogue. Yeah, that's right. In uh, Wichita, Kansas, actually a, a small town outside of Wichita. I think it's pronounced Ketchy, K-E-C-H-I. Um, you can email us with your complaints right, about you his go. pronunciation. <laughs> uh, this police officer, Victor Heyer, and I don't know the pronunciation of that either. Um, I know it's H-E-I-A-R. Um, Victor Heyer, I'll call him, was a police officer in this small town, and he and his uh, wife had separated. They had kids. Um, there were allegations of domestic violence. And um, while they were estranged, he used Wichita's flock cameras. As I mentioned, you know, departments can get these memorandums of understanding where they can access other departments' camera systems, even if they don't have them themselves. Ketchy didn't have the cameras, but they had one of these MOUs. And they, he was able to access Wichita's camera system and track where his wife was going. And he would text her and say things like, why were you on this road this morning? What were you doing there? Why were you over there? You've been spotted on this road. And she said, spotted by who? And he said, doesn't matter. Why were you there? She told police that she felt fear. Like she, she actually told her family members, if I turn up dead, mm -hmm. you know, this is what you should be looking at because he's tracking me. And ultimately, it was her concerns expressed to the police department. She knew he worked for a police agency. When she expressed those concerns, they looked into it and they were able to check his access, his history, and see that, yes, in fact, he'd been accessing the flock cameras inappropriately to track her. He was criminally charged. He was convicted. He was uh, given, I believe, uh, a couple of years of probation, maybe 16 months of probation. I actually reached out to Victor Heyer and I asked him, do you want to talk about why you did this? I mean, you were in a position of trust and you abused this system. And his response to me was unapologetic. He said, 
you know, that she had gone somewhere in the middle of the night with the kids. And he said, I would do anything to protect my children. So here's a person who abused this system and is not apologetic for it in the least. But let's talk about that database a little bit, because if I drive through Germantown, which is a, a city, a village that has these cameras, um, how long does data stay in the database, I think, is is one question. And then the other one is, is accessing it. Can any police officer at any point go into the database and search for anything they want? Not any police officer, although many departments have a, a, a wide range of, of people who can access it. They have to be granted access. There's a, mm -hmm. you know, it's password protected. But in many of these departments, this is available right on the squad car laptop. It's not just one data analyst who can access it. Even if they don't have like the that. camera system within their department or? That I'm not, I'm oh. not entirely sure about, but I know for those who have it, uh, many of them have access directly right mm -hmm. there to their laptop. That database is something that that every time they search, every time a police police officer enters a license plate that they want to be uh, added to the hot list, every time they go in and they say, I want to find the nearest, you know, uh, gray Subaru Forester with a bumper sticker on the back, there is a tracking system and they have to enter a reason code. Now, what I found, though, is that reason code which some departments told me, Grafton said, we require our officers to enter the specific case number they are working on that that search is connected to. Um, and the chief can go back and look at that and say, well, why were you searching you know, for this on that case? That has no connection. Um, but in the case of, well, actually, when Grafton demonstrated how this works to me, the analyst simply typed in test. Now, how many times might you test the system? I don't know if that is sort of a, a little bit of a loophole for someone who might abuse it. They can just type test. In Victor Heyer's case in Kansas, he just wrote investigation. Investigation of what? And is somewhat the question. So so here's the thing that Flock will tell you. Is they'll say, we have this audit trail. You can go back and audit this right, routinely at given intervals, or you can go in anytime. There's a suspicion that someone's misusing the system and you can audit every single uh, access that they've had. The question is, is anyone doing that? And I asked West Dallas, uh, Deputy Police Chief Robert Fletcher, do you have regular audits set up on this? And he said, we don't have that set up at this time. So they would be relying on someone to come and say, we think so-and-so is misusing the system. Can you go take a look? Um, if they're not as, I guess, careless about it as Victor Heyer, who just told his, his wife that she was spotted in these places, what if instead he had gone to those places and he had abducted the children? He wouldn't have had to say a word. She would never have known how he knew. Now, I'm not suggesting he was going to do that. But if someone else with that kind of intent wanted to, they're able to see where someone is. And if not, if no one knows to be looking at the at the audit system, then they could certainly abuse it in a way that would never be be tracked or wouldn't be tracked until it was too late. So there's potential for abuse, but there are built in safeguards to try to limit that kind of abuse. And so how and you alluded to this a little earlier, but how does Flock respond to these concerns? Well, Garrett Langley says, first of all, when he looks at the, the Victor Heyer case, it's the first case they've become aware of where someone is known to have abused the system. And in that case, he says he was caught. He was arrested. He was criminally charged as he should have been. He says it's an example that their audit system works. They were able to go back and able to see in an audit trail how he had misused the system. Of course, it's hard to measure the cases you don't know about. Absolutely. And that's true. He can at least point to that one case, though, and say if that system, that audit system hadn't existed, maybe they never would have known. Right. Maybe they never could have proved it. Maybe he would have gotten away with it. So at the very least, they can say in the one case we know of, the person was held accountable. The question is all of those other potential abuses that we don't know about. And here's where people, you know, groups like the ACLU take this maybe to the next level. Go back to the George Floyd protests all around the country. There were protests and we know that police departments were trying to keep track of certain groups and their movements. Could they use these cameras if these cameras that exist in the Milwaukee area today existed back in 2020 and 2021 when those protests were happening? How might police have used those to track the movements of protesters from one location to another when they were in a vehicle? Again, they don't track humans, so they're not tracking people who are out marching, but could they have tracked movements of maybe someone who was known to be a, a leader of, of some of the uh, more aggressive protests or something like that? And that's where the concern comes in that to what degree will police use this as a, a system for tracking people? And here's the key, without a search warrant. Because 
One of the police chiefs I interviewed in this case pointed out to me, you've already got the best tracking system ever invented in your pocket. It's your cell phone. It can track you everywhere you go. These cameras might only be in 20 places throughout the city that can pinpoint your location on GPS right down to, to where you're standing. The difference is for police to access cell phone data, typically they need a search warrant. And there's at least some level of legal protection that says you've got to make the case to a judge that you need this information. This is someone who is wanted, that this is someone who is suspected of a crime that's worthy of this kind of tracking. With these flock cameras, there's no case law out there right now that says how many cameras constitutes, uh, you know, violating someone's privacy. There is case law. I don't talk about the stories. There is case law on GPS tracking. Um, USA versus Jones. It's a it's a landmark case that said when police installed a GPS device on a vehicle and they tracked a man for 30 days, that that became an illegal search because it wasn't illegal for them to monitor him at, at any given point in time. But there was a certain point at which because they were only monitoring him from public places, from places where he was driving on public roads. Anyone could see where that car was. But the, the, the court ultimately ruled that at a certain point over a certain time, that constant tracking becomes a search. And in that case, it was 30 days. So you asked, Sarah, how long do they keep this data? Well, Flock, I don't know if this is coincidence or not, but their default is 30 days that they keep this data. And then it automatically deletes unless an agency that contracts with them requests longer. And in our case, in, in Wisconsin, Waukesha actually did that. They're paying an extra fee to keep their data for 121 days. Um, they wanted 120. They asked for the extra day to be safe. They say it's because their city attorney advised them that that was required under state open records law. I don't know where that interpretation comes from. I'm not really familiar with what they were referring to there. But no other agency in Wisconsin has asked for that mm. or, de or demanded that. Um, if their city attorney was right, then all these other departments are violating open records law by deleting records after 30 days. But the idea that Flock says if the data is around too long, there is a point that even Flock admits this becomes risky and, and there's too much of a potential for abuse of the data. So they say the happy medium is 30 days to retain the video or not the video to retain the data gives you 30 days of time to solve crimes. If the crime's older than 30 days, this data is not going to be around to help you. And they say that's the trade-off. That's the balance. Garrett Langley does talk about the importance of transparency and data security. He says he believes in that, but the ACLU says he still believes the system is going too far. So right now they're in a place that, um, you know, busy intersections and along the street, um, but now there's talk of potentially working with private sectors of of the... Yeah, they're already doing it. Yeah, and so outside places like hospitals, a movie theater, you know, grocery stores. So where's that? Yeah, actually, what's interesting is Flock started not with police departments. It actually started in neighborhoods. And and Garrett Langley tells a story, whether this is a, how it all came about or not, but this is the story he tells is that in his own neighborhood, there were break-ins. And they had ring cameras and the police said, that doesn't do us any good. We can't track a criminal from a, from, you know, an image on your ring camera. We need a license plate. And that's not clear on these ring cameras. So he went out and says he found some of his old Georgia Tech buddies and they got together and they found the parts and they built a license plate reading camera, which was the sort of first version of flock. And they put it up in their neighborhood and they got the plates and the evidence and they gave it to the police and they held those criminals mm -hmm. accountable. And police liked it so much, you know, they, they said that this is great. You should, you know, you should get this everywhere. And so they started marketing to homeowners associations, but they found police were the ones that were actually the most interested. And so, and whether I, I you know, I, I'll be, a, I'll be honest here in this podcast, I don't know how much I buy this story because it seems awfully convenient for a company worth a billion and a half dollars, but he says they were approached by law enforcement with an interest in directly purchasing the cameras and they were reluctant to do it at first and sort of had to be dragged into selling these cameras to police departments. Whether that's true or not, they ultimately turned their attention to police directly, but they haven't stopped selling to the private sector. And in fact, they, in the emails we got from all these departments, Flock is not only selling to the police department itself, they're asking for contacts at Home Depot and Menards and Walmart. Mm. And, you know, can you put us in touch with the Milwaukee Bucks? 
Can you, well, what about that Jellystone campground out there? Um, and Freighter Hospital, they're making contacts with all of these private businesses, apartment complexes. So you live in an apartment complex with one entrance into the parking lot. You may very well be watched every time you come and go from your private home. And that is happening. That's happening in West Atlas in an apartment complex where the entrance to that parking lot is being watched uh, for every vehicle that comes and goes. And there may be legitimate purposes for that. They want to know if there are vehicles that shouldn't be there. But the question is, how do you as a resident feel about being watched every time you come and go? So they're marketing these to the private sector. And the key is every time one of those cameras goes up, um, the Grafton uh, Commons Shopping Center, where Costco is uh, right across from the hospital, that has several of these cameras Every time you come and go, your vehicle's in that database. Now, maybe police aren't actively looking for you, so they don't get an alert because your car isn't stolen. But when I searched my car at Grafton Police, I asked them to look it up. I was in their database 23 times in 30 days. I'm not a criminal. I'm not wanted. Mm -hmm. But there I am. Um, were they going to do anything with it? Does it do me any harm? I, you know, may, Maybe not. But the question becomes all of that data that's being collected by private companies now is immediately being shared with this nationwide police database. So there are questions and the ACLU has raised them about whether or not that is uh, a public-private partnership that ought to happen. And, and what concerns does that raise about the way a private company might use that information? And through your reporting, you explored some of the specific claims Flock was making. Uh, and we always talk about it, it just in journalism in general, but especially in the investigative world. Uh, if it sounds too good to be true, that's when it's time to start digging. So what did you find as you explored some of those claims about the extent to which these cameras are working to not only solve crime, but decrease crime? I think that's really the biggest claim that uh, that flock is going to have a hard time backing up. And certainly I didn't find any evidence of, of some of their uh, boldest claims in terms of crime reduction uh, flock uh, in many of its promotional materials that it sends to police departments and others. Um, it says that these flock cameras reduce crime by up to 70% over 70% in some cases, 80% or 60%. And then they'll give a specific example of a community like San Marino, California. That's one that where they said crime had been reduced by 70 or 80% when they put these cameras in. I've reached out to the San Marino police chief no less than four times. He has not responded to me, but I did look up what data I could find on the San Marino government website. And it appears that around the time they put in the flock cameras, if they uh, if crime went down 70 percent, it was only residential burglaries in a fairly small community where they only had maybe 70 or 80 to begin with. And it went down to like 36 in one year. So if we go from two to one, you know, That's that sounds like a cut, very right? uh, large this, reduction. In this case, they had this 70 or 80 percent reduction. But I also noticed that the very next year they talked about uh, the need to, you know, they're they talking to their city council or common council about the need to do certain things to deal with the increase in property crimes like burglaries, because the very next year, those crimes went back up and they went back up 61%. Right? Remember, this was happening at the beginning of the pandemic. So sure, they dropped off early on. More people were home. It's harder to break into people's houses when people are home. How much of that was due to Flock? It's impossible to say, but they had that one year of data and Flock has run with that ball. Well, yeah, so sorry not to cut you off, but like that's what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast about, you know, these, these, press releases that we get from police departments. Sometimes they're written by the police department, but sometimes they're also written by flock that are just kind of signed. Grafton police and department. that very claim of a 70% decrease in crime that these cameras can reduce crime by 70% or more. The way it was written in a, a German town press release was plus 70 up to plus 70%, which is almost like the Geico commercials that say you could save up to 15% or more, which is any number possible. Um, so there's really no way to hold them accountable. But, but, but German town police did send out a press release in uh, late 2021 that uh, made all kinds of claims about what flock safety cameras could do as they were pilot testing the program. The press release came from Germantown police. It had a quote from police chief Mike Snow. Germantown police didn't write that and Mike Snow didn't say that. We have emails that show that flock's public relations team crafted the email, ran it by the, the administrators at, at Germantown police and they signed off and, and said, the quote is fine. Maybe add this, don't add this and send it out. 
But I followed up with Chief Mike Snow just this past week and said, did you do anything to check or verify the claim that these cameras could reduce crime by 70% or more? And he said no. He admitted that Flock wrote the press release and that he did nothing to verify that claim. Um, You know, this is one of those cases where Germantown, don't get me wrong, they love the cameras. They were happy with them. They wanted more after they pilot tested them. But nonetheless, they took their their communication with the public, a taxpayer-supported public entity that's supposed to be neutral and disinterested in private products, um, let a private company that has a profit motive in this write a press release with a claim they didn't even check and that we found doesn't really hold water. Well, and if you'll allow me to hop up on my soapbox, and I think both of you know exactly where I'm going with this, this is where... Those of us in the journalism industry need to look inward and take a moment of self-reflection here. And I'll start with the caveat for people who don't know how this works. Most of what you see on the news, a lot of the reporter content is not the kind that you, Brian Polson, do, where you have weeks and months to look into something, right? As, as our, It's a luxury I've always been glad that station invests in, but it's not mm-hmm. the typical news story. It's not the typical news story, even amongst the majority of our reporting staff. As anchor Benton Handelman often says, the day turn is a miracle. So when you turn on your newscast, a lot of times you're seeing a story that the field crew has worked on during the day, and they've run around to different places to get the elements, put it together, edit it, Uh, It's done in a much more compressed period of time. And so when that happens, a lot of times, okay, we talk about attribution. Okay, Flock is making this claim. We attribute it to them. Police are making this claim. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, that's a a source. That's someone we're telling people where we got it. And a lot of times it will end there. And I understand why that happens. Time crunch, Mm -hmm. the day crunch. And and you're attributing what you were told. Yes. But two things can be true. It is understandable how that happens. And we need to take a more critical look at how we vet that information because simply attributing where it came from is not enough. When we can't verify that on our own and we are delivering it to the public, even when we're telling people where it came from, we are giving those claims credibility. And so maybe we can't vet it in that compressed period of time. Fine. Maybe we avoid repeating it and we dig into it more the next day. It's something we as a station, we're trying to invest more in. But if we're being totally transparent, we have done stories that sound very glowing about this camera system. And 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 I want to be clear, not to say that it doesn't deserve some of that because it does have impact. Correct. And it's not up to us to say whether it's good or whether it's bad. But as you pointed out, and as you dig into in your reporting, there is another side to it that has not always gotten that representation. And and that's something we need to look critically at. I think it's really underscored by what uh, the police chief in Cobb County, Georgia, told me. That's another place where Flock has made uh, repeated claims about the crime reduction. It was a 60% crime reduction in Cobb County, Georgia. It's literally in the like a the signature of their emails for many of these salespeople. Crime reduced by 60% in Cobb County, Georgia. And there was a story on Fox 5 in Atlanta that made some reference to these crime stats. The story never actually said crime dropped by 60% in Cobb County because that sounds like all crime went down mm-hmm. 60% across the board. As it turns out, crime in Cobb County, Georgia went down uh about 22% across the board over a three-year period, and only some of that could maybe be attributed to Flock. Some of it's just because the impact of the pandemic. That's what the chief told me. But they had one test area where they tested these cameras in a high-crime beat, and they saw a reduction in certain types of specific crimes of 45%, and maybe one specific type of crime had a very brief period of, of a drop of 60%. But they take that out and they say, look, crime dropped by 60%. I interviewed the police chief there, and and he even said, and it's in our story, the first story that will air on Wednesday night, uh, which is just before this uh, comes out, uh, the podcast. But he said, even for him, there's a limit to this. He said, you know, there is this is useful, but there's only so far this can go before we're living in a police state. And he said, I don't want to live in a police state, and I am the police. So the reason I, I, I brought that up at that point is 
that side of the story is out there, even among law enforcement officials who are who have glowing things to say. Chief Van Hooser in Cobb County, Georgia, loves Flock. He thinks it's one of the greatest things to come along in 33 years. But even he sees there's another side to this. And as journalists, we need to make sure we're letting the public know there is another side to this. It's a great new technology that's doing great things, but it also has the potential for abuse. And, and there are concerns about what it could do for our privacy. I, I did want to add, want to add one other thing I want to uh, mention here because you talked about the crime stats in general, but I did talk to local departments for this story, West Dallas, Waukesha, and Grafton in particular, and I asked them, do you have any metrics to show how this is working here? And none of them could point to any overall drop in crime, but what they did say is they're seeing it as they're seeing it represented significantly in their arrest totals. Mm. In uh, particular, uh, West Dallas gave me the number of total arrests over the time period since they've gotten the cameras and how many they attribute to the flock cameras. It's about 4%. So about one out of every 25 arrests in West Dallas is now directly attributed to a flock camera. Waukesha said they've had 10 arrests since I think last summer when these cameras first went in. Um, they're still in their pilot testing phase because they're waiting on a few cameras to go up. They've had 10 arrests related to flock. Um, but they said there's actually a lot more that flock does that will never show up as a direct relationship to an arrest because it might be one piece, a tool that's used in an investigation to get you one step further on a lead. And then other things come together that make that case happen. So they are seeing the value in this technology. But they say they can't point to crime in Waukesha has dropped X percent since the installation of flock cameras. It's not that simple. And I think anyone who tries to boil it down to something that simple is clearly oversimplifying it. And in the case of flock is likely doing so because they're looking to sell more cameras. And that's a good time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual and have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared, but you know who is prepared because she has the question. It's Open Records executive producer, Sarah Smith. Amanda, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the, your answer, how much have you missed off the record? <laughs> I, I have missed it so much yes. that we have started incorporating it into <laughs> yes. our daily editorial meetings. You're right. There where are we ask the rando icebreaker well, questions. That was uninspiration. An inspiration. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. Then you can't talk as long as we do. And off the record during a morning meeting or they would go on forever. No, correct. That's when I start getting slacks from Sarah. (laughs) She did text me. I was off on a Friday, not to prolong this podcast already. But she's like, guess who did the icebreaker and got everyone out in 17 minutes? And I was like, of course you did. (laughs) Um, Okay. Today's question. Putting it on my resume. That's right. Today's question. We're digging deep here. If you could be (laughs) one kitchen appliance, (laughs) what would you be? You could be, be a kitchen one? appliance. Be one. You are a kitchen appliance. Right now, I feel like, I mean, air fryers are having their moment in the sun. <laughs> Everybody loves their but air they're fryer. they're hot all the time. No, but they're, but they're fast and they're efficient and everybody wants to interact with them and everybody says nice things about them. Think about your self-esteem. <laughs> yeah. You're looking for the affirmation. I, yeah. I'm saying right now. But what about when the next big thing comes? Yeah. Don't you and then everyone don't throws wanna... out their air fryer. I yeah. didn't say that was my answer. I said right now. And then you're sitting with all your other buddy air fryers at Goodwill. <laughs> I still feel like air fryers are a pretty good one because I mean, the, the, I am very they're, much they're air efficient. Fryer. And, yeah. and and also I have one now that they're they're smart. I've got a Bluetooth air fryer. What? That, I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> 2023, I'm, or, or Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. I'm sorry. Wi-Fi air fryer. That I get a, I, I sit down in the living room. This is beautiful. Watching I'm watching <laughs> oh Netflix I'm and over. I get a notification when the chicken wings are done. It's <laughs> absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Great. Um, who wouldn't okay. want to be? See, after who that, wouldn't who be, wouldn't want to be an air fryer? Okay. Um, citrus squeezer. Citrus. You want to be a citrus squeezer? Yes. Of it's one of my best tools. We use citrus okay. a lot in recipes. And if okay. I didn't have a citrus squeezer, I would be angry. Okay. You, you said have that, hands, that's though. The... I mean, I love a good citrus squeezer, too. But I just squeezed some limes yesterday into salsa that I was making. I dominated that lime. I didn't right. even need the squeezer. Yeah, but you I wasted drew... so much juice. <laughs> nah, I don't know about that. But, Kale, I drew a connection to, like, the self-esteem, the affirmation. Why do you want to be? Now, why do you like because using? Because it's useful. Why do you want to? Okay. Oh, I get it. Why do you want to oh, be a citrus squeezer? <laughs> I want right. to be a kitchen knife. Oh. That... What kind? Which one, though? Because <laughs> there's the best one. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not a... Uh, 
chef by any means, but I just have a, one really good sharp kitchen knife that's like the go-to in the knife set. Yeah, I and love a good chef's knife. Yeah. yeah. You can do everything with it. You like knowing that you can be useful, but you can also be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, that's... Nobody's going to mess with me. Everyone's going to be real careful when that's they're true. handling me. As soon as she said that, did you notice that I kind of, my body language, I went like. Oh. Went, I don't have a knife. I, I just want to be one. I got yep. it. I got the reason okay. why. Okay. okay. So citrus squeezer, you don't technically need me, but my life, your life is way better if you. Have yeah, me. that's a good Wow. Well done, Kate. Yeah. Well I done. I like that. Sinks it. See, oh. I want to be needed and feared. Oh, that's, 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 see that. And, yeah. and the thing is, as soon as you said it, it made a hundred percent sense. Yeah. It yeah. Did. Gosh. All right. Well, now that everyone's found their place in the sun, um, <laughs> I was trying to think of something. I am. Um, you I'm didn't a, have one in mind I, already? Well, I, I love it. You Air came up too, with but, the question. Yeah, I know. And then Brian took my answer. Did um, I really? No, because I'm like the Air Fryer spokesperson. But anyway, I okay. don't know that I want right. to be one because mm, I don't know. You hate um, being hot. Yeah, I know. But to that end, I am a helper and I like to make things easier for people. So to that end, I would like to be a handheld mixer. Oh, that's a because good you know what? If you need to mix something, like I love a good whisk too, fine. But man, 350 <laughs> strokes, I don't got time yeah. for that. But handheld mixer also usually means dessert. Yes, yeah. or beer cheese dip. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Get it twisted. I, either way, I am useful across the board. From either way, apps. the outcome is positive. That's right. And I'm You're make never going to go out of style. Yeah. I, I bet a lot of our parents have the same handheld mixer they've had since. Yeah. You, so handheld, not the industrial. No, like, the no, drop the KitchenAid one. That thing's fucking dust or whatever, in my no. Yeah. Okay, because they're like the retro. Ones I needed now. it on no, my wedding. You, you're, a registry you're like an immersion blender. Oh, which are also really good. Yeah. Um. Use that this week to make pizza sauce. Ooh, never thought about it to do that. One time, I used an immersion blender in my slow cooker. Um, to like oh, immersion blender. I know soup. this story. Mm, and the the plastic liner. For the slow cooker was still in there. <laughs> it was broccoli cheese plastic soup. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because our, our podcast today, the topic was flock safety cameras, which have become this sort of like suddenly out of nowhere, most popular technology uh, among police parts. Air fryers have become yeah. yes. strangely out of nowhere. I, I they clearly planned the this question. Is your air fryer watching you? <laughs> it right. is because well, it was so. <laughs> but but I was thinking about this, like you know, you, you look at like the way the kitchen looks and like the way a kitchen looked in the nineteen fifties versus maybe how it looks now. And I do wonder if houses are gonna start to be they're gonna have built in air fryers. Or will the oven be some sort of combination, oh. convection, An whatever? An air fryer well, is a mini convection yes, oven. Yes. Right, correct. If you have a convection oven, you have, you have no an, need yeah. for an air fryer. Well, uh, except, I, I don't know, is there any difference in terms of, the, does the size of it have anything to do with how efficient it is, or, or no? I mean, could you just have a large... Kale, the food kale expert. food man, tell us. I would imagine that the airflow in a smaller unit is crispier, turning over, quicker. yeah, crispier, but you just... You just put more French fries in your. But but, yeah. but but honestly, this is the thing. So uh, this is embarrassing to admit. I'm going to have to admit something on the show. It's going to be good. Here we um, go. It really is. So we had an air fryer gifted to us by. That's not the embarrassing part. My my uh, my brother and sister in law gifted us an air fryer. And when we first got it a couple of years ago, I thought, who gifts an appliance? We don't have room for a new appliance mm-hmm. on our countertop. You sound like my husband. But we. Made chicken wings the first time. My brother said, "You gotta make chicken wings." They were fan. They were so good. We were sold immediately. But I would take it, put it down under the cabinet, and get it back out. Mm-hmm. Put, and that became a pain. So we made room for it on the counter. We just found a way. And then there was a recall, and it was our unit. And I was reading that there were backlogs in the recall that were going to take eight to ten weeks to get the new air fryer. And you had to cut the cord to get the you know thing sent to you. So I had to literally take pictures. We didn't have an air fryer, and I thought this is going to be bad. <laughs> so, SOS. So you bought a new one, so didn't you? We bought a new air fryer. Wow. Found a deal on that one. That's the one with the Wi Fi, right? Yes. But air wait. fryer dedication. But wait, a week later, the replacement air fryer came. You have, you have two air we fryers? We have two air fryers. That is embarrassing. Okay. One, no, wait, but, but but we have six people in the house, grown, three in college, one's 15 years old in high school. So six essentially adults eating a lot of food. When you try to air fry batches of food for six people, okay. you're in the kitchen all night long. It's not fast anymore. So you use two so air fryers I, at once? I do. I have one that's always on the counter 
for small it's batches. It's the counter air fryer. But the one that's put away now, when <laughs> we have bigger batches, we get it out. And I'm telling you, the other night I made chicken cubes for the whole family. <laughs> we made, you know, Costco amounts of chicken. But wait, there's more. And, and, and what's we, a and, chicken cube? <laughs> You cube mm, up the chicken. That sounds where, delicious. Where you made chicken. Oh, okay. so you just made chicken. We, yes, we just made chicken. <laughs> Do you bread them or anything? It's just cute. actually we have a there's a there's a great air fryer chicken shawarma <laughs> recipe that's outstanding. And I don't know why I, that's funny. You know what? You know what? People who make air fryers are going to take this and use it as a commercial. <laughs> so when no, the company's going under, people media. aren't no. buying enough new air fryers. No, they're they're gonna gonna go. the this person. is why you need two. Correction. Let me tell you. I'm handing over my, my spokesperson. Let, me, let me tell you. you have taken I love learning new things about you. But my whole point is we accidentally <laughs> found out that making larger batches more quickly is great. So the idea of just using the convection oven, now I'm anti-selling air fryers, just use the convection oven, you can make more. Yeah. But I'm stuck with two, so that's what it's gonna be. That was hard hitting. Oh boy, this thing really turned and went, went off the rails. Just eat some chicken cubes. Happy to be here, guys. If you would like to talk about chicken cubes with us, uh, no, if you'd like to discuss a uh, topic you would like us to discuss on open record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. And make the subject line whether you have zero, one, or two air fryers or more. Leaving open that possibility, too. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, including our executive producer, Sarah Smith, our editor, Dave Machuda. Sarah, don't choke. Please. We can't end that way. That would be bad if we have to call 911. Okay. Uh, including uh, our executive producer, Sarah Smith, our editor, Dave Machuda, and our chief photographer, Manning the Video Switcher, Kale Zimney, the Orange Squeezer. I'm Brian <laughs> Pol- <laughs> With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back next week. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.